What's going on and welcome into a game day edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson alongside my co-host Jim Eikenhofer of Pelicans.com. Normally we'll do Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but decided to change things up on this Tuesday. A very important game for the Pelicans as they welcome in the Minnesota Timberwolves for the final time this season. The Timberwolves own a 2-1 and record against the Pelicans this season. And joining us today to preview is Jace Frederick, who covers the Timberwolves for the Pioneer Press Up in Minneapolis. Hey Jace, how are you? Hey, good, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. No problem at all. Jace, let's start with, you know, they're 20 and 20, but since these two teams last met in mid-November, it's kind of been a little bit of a roller coaster, but mostly in uphill, um, a downhill, I guess. Well, I guess a little bit of both, I should say. <laughs> Five-game losing streak, but also two four-game winning streaks in the middle of that. How would you describe the way the Timberwolves have been playing of late? I know they've won four in a row recently, but how would you describe how they've played since mid-November? Yeah, it's been pretty good in general. Um, they had a diff- It's been a very difficult portion of the schedule. A lot of playoff contenders playing contenders in that stretch. Basically, that's been the entire makeup of the schedule. And and yet, they've been competitive in every game. And frankly, they've won a lot. That that five-game losing streak, there was a defensive struggle in there. And then there's another little rough patch where, frankly, just COVID just kind of ran through the whole roster. And so, you know, you're playing with a bunch of end-of-the-bench guys, guys you're calling up from the G League team. So, in general, I think they really like where they're at. Um, certainly right now they're in the midst of another four-game winning streak. And and they're excited to see what things are going to look like now that the entire roster is back together again, which hasn't been the case often this season. I was about to say, with that small sample size, what have you seen when they have been fully healthy? Because it seems like this is a, a pretty tough team to face when all their guys are available and ready to go. Yeah, the starting lineup is dominant. Uh, it's it's The net rating is up towards like 50, plus 50, which is unbelievable. Um, you've got you know the three talented scorers in Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell, and certainly that helps a lot. But even Tim Rose coach Chris, coach Chris Finch has said, like, it's the other two guys. It's Patrick Beverly, it's Jared Vanderbilt, who kind of make the whole thing go uh, because they can contribute offensively. Like Beverly's made some big shots. He's been a, a solid playmaker this year. Jared Vanderbilt's an excellent offensive rebounder. And then they anchor the defense. Uh, so that unit has just been so good for Minnesota. It gets them off to such good starts on a nightly basis. It really sets the team up for success. Before we get to Jim, I want to talk about head coach Chris Finch, which we all know here from his time in New Orleans as an associate head coach. But it just seems like this team really gravitates towards him, especially after get, getting him midseason last year. seems like they've been able to build some chemistry and some trust with him. What have you seen as far as the development and kind of the, the maturity of this team with Chris Finch at the helm? I, I think every, everything only everyone only has positive things to say about Chris Finch, and it's pretty clear why. I mean, like, the players are all in on him. Their comments, they go beyond, like, oh, he's doing a great job. It's like they love him. And you can see, like, he's kind of unlocked some guys. Um, he's He's – always putting guys in the best position to be successful, even on like the, the, the nights we talked about where you know, they had like no one uh, because of the, the COVID issues throughout the roster. Like those teams were still competitive. They even won a couple of those games. And it's because like whoever's on the floor, it seems like the Wolves will have the best game plan for those guys to succeed. And Carl Anthony Towns, like is a guy who's had some warts in his game before and, you know, double teams struggling with that. And yet, they've gone away from the things that he struggles with. And now he just see him operate more in like the mid post and, and Jared Vanderbilt, who's not maybe like the most offensively gifted player, but you'll see in situations tonight where like, he's just a pick and roll, roll hard to the rim guy. And D'Angelo Russell really works well with that. Like every single skill that the Timberwolves players have is being utilized to the fullest extent. Um, Chris Finch has done an incredible job with that. And he's really done a nice job managing a fairly young team. Like Towns and Russell aren't young, but they've got five rotation players who are 22 and under and, 
and yes, there's going to be inconsistencies with that, but I think Chris Finch has done a really nice job kind of managing the ups and downs and kind of helping these guys continue to, to develop as players. Yeah, Jace, I, I remember from his time here that it's pretty similar to what he was able to accomplish where the Pelicans had a pretty highly rated offense that he was kind of operating and in, in charge of, despite the fact that uh, there were numerous seasons where there were key players out. It just seems like we've been saying for, we had been saying for years here that the, uh, the offense was never the problem. It was always the defense. Um, but by the way, I'm not sure if you guys noticed, but I got bounced out of the zoom for a little bit there. You guys probably didn't miss me, but hopefully I, you, hopefully <laughs> you didn't not. say, hopefully Daniel didn't use that as his time to vent about his frustrations with me. Oh yeah. Between Jason and I, well, and, and then maybe if you listen back, yeah. <laughs> you'll find out <laughs> exactly i guess uh, i guess i'm in for some bad news later today <laughs> luckily i edit the podcast too so jim's never gonna know what's being said <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway anyways back to uh the timberwolves um jace i i guess you know they've had kind of a streaky season where they've won a few games in a row looked like they're in good position then they had a stretch where you're wondering like is it going to go back revert to the way that they've been in previous years where they haven't been you know, a playoff team. I was wondering, what's your sense of what the ceiling is for them? Are, are they, is, is it possible that they're looking at, you know, maybe trying to finish in the top six? I mean, what, what do you think, as far as the regular season, what do you think is their ceiling? I think that is in the realm of possibilities for their ceiling. Like you've talked about, it's been up and down, but the ups have looked really good. And it's been one of those things where they look like a team that can really kind of contend with anybody. And when, frankly, when they've been healthy, when they've had their starting five together, I think they're like 10 and three with this starting five. Mm. Um, and we'll yeah. see if Patrick Beverly even plays tonight, but, but it's been very good with that group. Um, and so I do think it's possible that they can win enough games to climb into that top six. And like we've talked about their two and one against the Pelicans. The Pelicans are the only team in the bottom six of the West right now that has a win over Minnesota. Minnesota's nine and one against those teams. So they're taking care of business. They're winning games. They feel they should win. Those are all things that like playoff teams do. Um, they're setting themselves up for success in that respect. Um, I do think, yes, there's been a lot of ups and downs, but I do think if they play pretty well, if they kind of continue to do what they're doing when healthy over this last second half of the season here, then top six is a possibility. Now, like you said, the up and downs, like when you have five rotation players who are 22 and under, like there are going to be some bad stretches and we've seen that. And, you know, they're also, I think, just always like one injury away from struggling. Mm. Like every time, like there's been a key component out of the lineup, like say it's been a D'Angelo Russell or like a Carl Anthony Towns or even an Anthony Edwards. It's just like, hasn't looked quite the same. And so I think if they lost any one of those guys, I would rule out top six. Uh, but if everybody stays healthy, if things go right, I, I do think they could climb into that, which would be a major success for them and not something that I think many of us saw at the start of the year. Sure. Um, I think I caught the tail end of you talking about Jared Vanderbilt. To me, he's one of the most interesting players that they have. He, he's not a guy that the, maybe the casual fan or the average fan um, knows much about, but it seems like, especially lately, on some of the national shows, I've heard him getting a lot of praise as far as, you know, how instrumental, valuable he's been to their their starting lineup that you mentioned has been so effective. Um, how, how valuable do you think he's been? And as far as what are some of the things that he brings that ha have kind of allowed them to the Timberwolves to have things kind of come together so well? Yeah, he's one of those guys where you look statistically and you're like, eh, you know, like pretty good. But there's a reason why he leads the, the team in net rating. I mean, he leads he's a guy who can't shoot very well and struggles to catch the ball in the interior and yet leads the team in offensive rating. And it's because he's a great screener. He's just a tremendous offensive rebounder. Um, he, he knows when to cut off towns. Like he's, he's a very smart player who is always doing the right things. Um, and that 
that just kind of frees up everyone else to do what they're doing. Uh, the offensive rebound, you can't overstate it. Like the number of extra possessions he creates for them is off the charts. I mean, now just recently they've had him starting kind of like D'Angelo Russell's a great pick and roll player and they've had Jared Vanderbilt now setting the, the picks for him and being that hard roller because Carl Anthony Towns has always been more of a pick and pop type player. Uh, so that's helped out a lot. And then defensively, like there are plenty of nights where Jared Vanderbilt's just the guy who guards the other team's best wing. Um, you know, like, like a Brandon Ingram wouldn't surprise me at all. If, you know, like Jared Vanderbilt is the guy they put on him and, and Jared Vanderbilt does just a great job, frankly, always going hundred miles an hour um, and yet always doing the right things, getting more and more controlled with that energy um, and, and channeling it into the right directions and doing the right things with it. I mean, 21 points, 19 rebounds the other night against Houston, like his role is only expanding, uh, but just, the effort and energy that's been there the entire time. Um, he's, he's a really impressive player to watch. So is Anthony Edwards, who I think has made a big leap from year one to year two. And I thought year one was pretty incredible for him just finishing short of the rookie of the year behind Lamella ball. So where have you seen his growth from year one and year, year two? I think decision-making for sure is one of them. And that's not a surprise uh, from a rookie to a second year player. I think one thing that, has been a little bit surprising. It's just the success he's had from three point range. Um, he's shooting at like above 36 and a half percent rounds up to like 37% at an incredibly high volume, more than eight threes a game. Like he's been one of the most taken some of the most volume of threes of anybody in the league, which I asked Chris Finch this the other night, like, would you have thought that was a good thing at the start of the year? And he said, no, <laughs> <laughs> frankly, they, they wanted him drive, 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 take the occasional three when it's there. But he has just been, he's been like setting his head. Like if they are giving it to me, if they're sitting back at all, I'm going to take the three and he's hit it at a much higher rate than anyone expected. And that just opens him up to just kind of be an unstoppable offensive force when you have no choice, because if you don't sit back, then he is going to get to the rim. He's too explosive, too athletic, too big, too strong. Like he's going to get by and he's going to score, but now you're sitting back and he can beat you there too. Like it's, it's made him his offensive ceiling, I think even higher uh, than what we, could have thought and now certainly he still has a lot of room to grow he's still inconsistent there's still some nights where he just does not play very well like so that's kind of a, a pretty common for a second year player but he's becoming more of a playmaker um he's just he's, he's definitely figuring out the nba game more and more on a nightly basis before i let you go let's talk about tonight's matchup as again pelicans looking to even up the season series these two teams meet for the final time this season what intrigues you about tonight's matchup? You're going to see a, a pretty fully healthy Minnesota club. And for the Pelicans, too, besides, of course, the absence of Zion Williamson and even Kyra Lewis Jr. But what, what intrigues you about tonight's matchup between these two teams? I think what always intrigues me um, is Jonas Valanciunas against Carl Anthony Towns because some nights, yes, like Minnesota's done a better job of, of not putting Towns in these positions where he'll just go in there and try to go toe-to-toe -to -toe and, and play smash-mouth basketball with Jonas. But when that has been the case like Valanciunas wins that matchup and it frustrates Towns and it takes Towns out of his game. And even if Towns might put up 25 points, it's an inefficient way. And there's a lot of turnovers involved. Um, and you can just see that like physically Valanciunas can dominate Towns. And we've seen that when Valanciunas was in Memphis and when he's been in New Orleans. Uh, so that's always the thing I'm looking at with these types of matchups is like big physical centers really can take Towns out of his game and, and almost like mentally get in his head a little bit because Towns is big. And like, I went to the weight room this summer. I was there all summer. And he thinks then like that gives him license to go at these guys and it still doesn't work. So like, it's like, can Minnesota continue to put towns in different situations where he's not trying to go right at Valanciunas and out muscle him um, and just be the bigger, stronger center. Uh, because if he can just play his game, play on the perimeter, play out of the mid post, uh, be a playmaker if need be, then that's great for Minnesota. If it turns into like a 
a back and forth shoulder to shoulder going at one another contest. That's, that's a big advantage for new Orleans. All right. Should be a good one tonight inside the smoothie King center between the Pelicans and the Timberwolves. That's Jace Frederick who covers the Minnesota Timberwolves for the pioneer press. Jace, I really appreciate the time. Enjoy the game tonight. And I will talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks guys. Good stuff there from Jace Frederick. who wanted to bring you a game day edition of the podcast instead of one from Monday, kind of give you a, a little preview of what's going to go down tonight inside the Smoothie King Center. And again, we're joined by Jim Mikanoff for Pelicans.com. Let's go back to Sunday just for a second. A tough loss in Toronto to the Raptors, 105 to 101. And I thought the Pelicans fight in this game. There were a couple opportunities where the Pelicans were down double digits in the game and it could have easily gone the Raptors way, even though there was no home crowd to kind of get them going a little bit but trying to create that own energy to make that run that they did and then take the lead with just a couple minutes to go on a Herb Jones three. And then Fred Van Vliet kind of took over as he has been during their six game winning streak. I guess, Jim, what captures your, your eye from that, that uh, tough loss on Sunday, especially towards the end of the ball game. Yeah. I mean, it was frustrating to not be able to win that game because they had a chance at the end. I mean, throughout the evening, I was thinking, you know, this is not looking good because Toronto was up ahead on the scoreboard, I don't know, 90% of that game. Then all of a sudden you, you track them down, you get into position where you're up three with about two minutes left. And then the last couple minutes, it just seemed like a lot of stuff went wrong. Um, obviously Van Vliet was incredible. I mean, he's been playing amazing, been one of the best guards in the NBA um, in January and over the last few weeks, just shooting the lights out from three, making 35 footers in crucial situations. Um, but I think, the Pelicans probably when they look at the film of the last few possessions, um, they gave up some huge offensive rebounds. And some of those were just missed box outs where somebody didn't get, there was a Raptors player that didn't get boxed out. And there was really not a, not a great excuse to not put a body on somebody in those situations. Um, I saw when I look back at it, there's a couple of plays where the Pelicans were basically flat footed. And I mean, you have to make sure that you get your, your, rear end in front of somebody to make sure that they can't come down with the offensive rebound in that situation. And I think the Pelicans were kind of watching the ball instead of being proactive and getting in front of someone, like I said, to box someone out. So that was, it was, it was a frustrating loss just from the standpoint of that they had a chance to get it. And man, I think that would have been such a, a big win to be able to end Toronto's um, winning streak and the way that the Raptors have been playing, especially with how many things were going against the Pelicans. But anyways, we uh, we need to move forward and I need to move forward and, and focus on these games coming up. Uh, it, it's, it's a crucial stretch. And as we know, the standings are pretty tight. Very tight. And I know me and you are the ones that uh, talk about the standings a lot. Um, Todd Graffini, not a big fan right now of, of the scoreboard <laughs> watching, but you and I are the ones that look every day and see what teams the Pelicans gain some ground on. And I think even though the team is 14 and, and 26, it, it's still the fact that they're in it right now at this time is pretty incredible to see, which means if they continue to play well and play 500 basketball, you just never know what's going to happen. I think this week is very important. As we mentioned, two home games, two winnable home games against teams that Again, the Timberwolves playing good basketball right now. They've won four in a row. Um, but again, like Jay said, is really the only team um, at the bottom of the West that has defeated the Minnesota Timberwolves this season. That was at the very beginning of the season in uh, in Minnesota in October. And then the Clippers, you're 2-0 against the Clippers. They're going to be without Paul George and Kawhi Leonard again. Again, a very talented team still without those two guys. But they have seen the struggle a little bit as well. And before you get on this tough three-game East Coast trip that involves the Nets, the Celtics, and the New York Knicks, 
um, two wins this, this week would be pretty, uh, pretty great based on how far you are from 10 spot, which is only two games. Yeah. You know, to go quickly, go back to what you were saying about you and I and our preoccupation with the standings um, to me, like if I was our defense attorney, I would say that I understand why people, some fans and, you know, naysayers like Mr. Graffinini <laughs> might say, man, why are you guys so preoccupied with this? Why are you talking about this so much when there's so much time left in the season? But my, my defense would be, uh, I mean, when you start out a season one and 12 and three and 16, the way the Pelicans did, I mean, can't you just give us this little bit of joy? Because I think there was definitely a stretch before Thanksgiving where, where you thought it was very possible and more, maybe even more likely that you'd be playing a lot of games at the end of the season that didn't matter. And there was no reason to look at the standings. So that's my little uh, presentation on why I think we're, we're justified in, in talking about that um, in terms of the Timberwolves and Clippers games that you mentioned. Um, these are two teams that are pretty far um, ahead of the Pelicans in the standings right now. So I don't want to overly focus on that. I do think it's it's always important. These are things that could come back later in the season that, you know, the Pelicans have a chance to split the season series with Minnesota tonight. But um, I think for me, I'm more looking at in the position the Pelicans are in right now where they're only two games out of 10th place. I think all home games are important. And in particular, home games against maybe this level of the league where you're playing against teams that are, you know, kind of right around 500 in, in that group that I had mentioned on previous podcasts where there's so many teams that are just hovering around the 500 mark. I think these games are more important in some ways than others because they're home games and because they're against teams that are a little bit ahead of you in the standings. Um, I don't think most reasonable people thought, for example, last week that the Pelicans were in a sweep when they played Utah, Phoenix, and Golden State. They were able to get one win, which was good. But, um, you know, these are, I think this week is, these two games are really crucial just for the reasons that I mentioned. And I do think before the stretch, before that back-to-back where the Pelicans lost to Phoenix and um, Utah, as Mr. Graffinini was saying, the Pelicans have been playing better at home. So I want to see that continue. I think that is a pretty vital piece of, what I think it'll take for them to extend the season after game 82 and make the play in tournament. No doubt about it. Should be a good one tonight and we'll have it for you on ESPN New Orleans 100.3 FM as Jim will join me as always on Pelicans OT. Of course, we hope you can be at the game. It's a happy hour pack where you can get two cocktails and uh, have them before the game and part of a ticket package 504-525 part of a happy hour pack. Jim Eikenhofer and I have purchased a few of those and we'll be uh, enjoying the game with those. I'm just kidding. We definitely don't (laughs) do that before the game, but definitely join us tonight inside the Smoothie King Center. And again, we'll have another podcast for you tomorrow. There's no better person to help us summarize the first 41 games of the season than Antonio Daniels of Valley Sports New Orleans Pelicans television analyst as tonight is game 41. So we'll be halfway through after tonight. If my math is correct, with a team at 14 and 26, that's 40 games. I'm, I just I needed Jim's approval with that head <laughs> nod, so I got it as far as the math. But Antonio Daniels will join us tomorrow. Should be a great podcast. Hope you can join us. And then we'll have another one on Friday to wrap up the week. Big thanks to Jace Frederick for helping us preview tonight's game. And until tomorrow, for Jim, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by Seeky. <laughs>